0: Turn with me in your bulletin or in a copy of the Word of God that you might have to hand, and we'll read together the Scriptures from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, or 25, sorry, and then down to verse 7 or 8 in chapter 3. Please listen carefully. This is the Word of God. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the midst of the day, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of God endures forever. And let me just say at the start this morning, what a great delight it is to be with you now, sorry, this afternoon, we've passed midday. It is a wonderful privilege to be here. Dr. Thomas told me of all the things he did at First Press that he loved, meeting with you all on Wednesday afternoons and bringing the word of God to you was top of the list. It was one of his great delights and joys to be here with so many eager disciples, fed with such a wonderful feast prepared by chef, and then from the word of God as well afterwards, and I am I'm just thrilled to be here and so glad to see you all here this morning. Well, as you may know from my accent, saying that I am one of the only people here with no accent whatsoever, (laughs) that I don't hail from around these parts. I grew up in Northern Ireland, and I went to a military school in Northern Ireland called Campbell College, and all of the students there had to be a member either of the Army cadets, the Navy cadets... Or the Air Force cadets. If you were a pacifist, you could be the social service group, but there weren't too many of them. And I was in the Army cadets in school and had a tremendous time there. And in in the summer between our junior and senior year, they packed us off to Scotland for an escape and evasion course. And we were trained in the principles of escape and evasion, and then we had to escape and evade uh, for three days in the Scottish Highlands in the middle of the winter and we were being pursued, hounded, by the Royal Irish Rangers. We were sent out in four-man teams, and I was in charge of our team, and we had to get kind of from A to B to C to D over the course of the three days, and you check in each of the checkpoints and so forth and so on while you were trying to evade the enemy, the Royal Irish Rangers, who were supposed to be the IRA in the kind of the war games. And to keep it safe, we had to call in our positions regularly to our teachers throughout uh, the days. Uh, Every few hours, you'd call in your position. And I I noticed that the Royal Irish Rangers, there wasn't a large group of them, but they were catching us with remarkable regularity. I thought, this is a bit strange. And I began to wonder if the teachers who were supposed to be the friendly forces were actually in cahoots with the Royal Irish Rangers. And so I thought I'd test that hypothesis. So we were up, and it was a a, a valley uh, near Tyndrum in Scotland. We were up high uh, on one side of the valley in an old, disused railway line. It was covered by trees, and we were there. And there was a road in the middle of the valley, and so I I, I lied. I called in the wrong position. I called in our position about five or two miles uh, to the north of us on the road, and I sat and I waited. And sure enough, not 10 minutes later, but two enemy Land Rovers drove up, stopped at exactly the position I'd given the teachers, and they jumped out with binos trying to see us. And so for the rest of the three days, uh, I did the same thing, and they, they eventually caught us by foul means, but that's another story for another, uh, for another sermon. But I knew, you see, then that I figured out how the enemy was working. And that's a huge part of any warfare, defining who the enemy is and how the enemy works. Now in my ministry at First Presbyterian Church, my goal is to speak mostly about the friend of your souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also vitally important that you and I are very, very clear about who the enemy is and how he works Because he loves to come in amongst the church and set us against one another. And we need to always remember in almost any trouble we face in the Christian life, the real issue is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of the evil one. Charles Spurgeon said, there's something very comforting in the thought that the devil is an adversary. I would sooner have him for an adversary than a friend. Amen. So this morning as we begin our study on the wiles of the devil, I want to speak a little bit about our enemy, who he is, and then next week as we're spared, we'll come back and think about how he operates. And the first thing we see in our text this morning from verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The first thing we learn is that the devil is real. He is a real personal spirit. He's not an imaginary boogeyman. He is not a figment of your imagination. He is real and he means to do you and he means to do me real harm. He's a mind to plan and scheme. He's a will to to make decisions. He has a heart to hit, and he has spiritual hands to work you and to work me woo." He is the personification of evil. Trevor Knight says, "When Satan fell, he lost all of his innocence, but none of his intelligence. He's a genius, a genius. Of infernal proportions. He's a person of unmixed and unmitigated evil. The devil is. The personification of evil. I remember watching Star Wars. I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan, sci-fi fan. I remember when I was a young boy watching uh, Star Wars, the the first movie that was released back, I think, in 78. And I remember seeing or hearing... Luke talk about Darth Vader, and he says, I sense some goodness in him. And I remember thinking to myself, have you lost your mind? (laughs) His soul is as dark as his suit. Goodness in Darth Vader? Absolutely not. But as the movies progressed, of course, we did learn that there was just a chink, a little pilot light of goodness left in uh, Darth Vader's soul that eventually would come to the fore, Right? But you need to realize, listen to me now, when you deal with the devil, there is absolutely no goodness in him whatsoever. There is no light, only darkness. There is no love, only hatred. He has absolutely no capacity whatsoever to pity even the weakest and the most fragile of God's children. He will spare no one and he will stop at nothing to destroy you, your children, your grandchildren, and this church. Now, Think about that for a second with me. I remember watching some years ago when I was on vacation a mini-series about Saddam Hussein. It was one of those docudramas. And in this movie, uh, Saddam Hussein, was there, there was a traitor in the midst, a, a, a spy, and Saddam gathered his closest circle around him and he identified his best friend as the traitor. And Saddam walks across to him, pulls out a pistol, and shoots him in the face, and he drops dead. And his chief of security said, "Saddam, he, he's no traitor. He's your best friend. He never betrayed you. And Saddam says, I know. And there was a crocodile tear running down Saddam's face. He said, I know he's my best friend, and I know he never betrayed me. But I also know this. If my enemies in the government know I won't spare my best friend, nobody is safe. And the devil is like that, magnified a thousandfold. He has absolutely no pity whatsoever. He won't give you a chance. He will give you no quarter. He is out for you. He is the root cause of all that is polluted and profane and perverse and that is wrong with this world world. When you deal with him, you'd better have your spiritual wits about you. He is real. That's the first thing. The second thing we learned this morning or this afternoon is that the devil is crafty. John Blanchard says we are opposed by a living, intelligent, resourceful, and cunning enemy who can outlive the oldest Christian, outwork the busiest, outfight the strongest, and outwit the wisest. The devil is crafty. And you see that there in verse 1 of chapter 3. But look back at the last verse of the previous chapter. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the Hebrew word for naked is arom. A-R-O-M in the English. Arom. The Hebrew word for crafty is arum, A-R-U-M. And Moses is doing a play on words. Adam and Eve are most innocent but they face an enemy that is most crafty. He's contrasting, do you see, their naked innocence with the devil's naked and malicious and malevolence. Now, the word crafty in Hebrew is normally used in a positive sense, right? It normally means somebody who knows the best thing to do at the best time, for the best reason, and to achieve the best ends. It's used of the wise man in Proverbs all the time. But here, that normally positive word is used about the devil. He knows the worst thing to do at the worst time, for the worst reason, to produce the worst and most diabolical of ends. You see the contrast. And did you notice he's not just crafty, he's more crafty. Literally in the Hebrew, he is most crafty most crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. Pink says, A.W. Pink says that Satan is very clever. He knows exactly what bait to use for every place in which he fishes. You might remember Thomas Brooks, who wrote an excellent little book called A Precious Remedy Against Satan's Devices. Just like any fisherman, Brooks says, Satan knows best how to present the hook Sorry, how to present the bait, but to hide the hook. He pretends that he wants to feed you, but just like the fisherman, he doesn't want to feed you, he wants to eat you alive. He's crafty. He's crafty. So the devil is real, the devil is crafty. And then, going to our third point, the devil likes to hide. The devil likes to hide. John Nichols says, The devil's greatest asset is the doubt people have about his own existence. William Still, who was one of Dr. Ferguson's mentors way back when, similarly he says, It is the devil's concern to keep his existence, his presence, and his working secret. He chooses to work in the dark. Now, There's always a danger. We can think too much about the devil. And our charismatic brothers and sisters, I used to be one, they see the devil everywhere. There's a demon under every cornflake in their breakfast. But as Reformed Christians, we're too spiritual for that kind of mumbo-jumbo stuff. We tend not to think about the devil at all. And both are tremendous mistakes. And you need to realize the devil is a master. He's a master at hiding. He's a master at hiding who he is. And he's a master at hiding what he wants. He's a master at hiding who he is. Did you notice he comes to our first parents dressed up as one of their subjects, a snake? This is before the fall. The snakes were not venomous in those days. They were no threat. They didn't even have legs. Right? They come basically as a big worm. Calvin says our first parents suffered themselves to be led off into slavery by one of their servants. The devil masks masks who he is. He likes to hide. He comes to Jesus through Peter. You don't want to go to the cross. He comes at Paul through a physical malady. He knows well how to stroke a man's pride and how to inflame a man's lust and how to appeal to a woman's vanity. Men can be vain too, ladies, you understand. But he can appeal to you. He can use your strengths against you as a weakness. And he knows all of your weaknesses and can turn them against you at a moment. Blanchard again says, when the devil comes, he is normally good looking. He's a master at making the darkness look bright. And so he knows exactly how to approach you. I remember when I was a younger man, I was praying I'm talking to an elder back in Belfast where Dr. Thomas was the pastor, Ernest Brown. Love Ernest. Ernest by name, Ernest by nature. He wore a suit all the time. I think he took his jacket off when he cut the grass, but he always wore a suit. He heard about Lloyd-Jones on vacation in Spain under a parasol on the beach in a suit, and he said, my kind of man. Well, I, I remember saying to Ernest one time about Satan, he's not omniscient, he doesn't know everything. Therefore, should I be careful when I'm praying and confessing my weaknesses because I'll be telling the devil how to get me? And Ernest laughed and said, Son, the devil's been doing this thing for four, five, six thousand years. He's been watching the souls of men and women, boys and girls. He sees you when you go on the Internet and Flixie websites, where you stop, when you're at the grocery store, what what magazines you look at when you're waiting for your turn. He sees what movies you watch, where your eyes go when there's a dodgy scene. He sees all those things. He doesn't need you to tell him about your weaknesses. He knows exactly where your weaknesses are and how best to um, approach you. He knows what buttons there are to press even before you know he is the one who's pressing them. He's a master at hiding who he is. And he's a master at also hiding what he wants. He comes to Adam and Eve pretending to be their helper, their friend. You know, if you would listen to me, you could become more like God than you've ever been before. He pretends he wants to help them, but actually he wants to hurt them. He pretends he wants to give them life, but actually he wants to take their lives, not just in time, but for eternity. He is a master of hiding. He wants to pollute your purity, Christian, destroy your marriage, and make you miserable in life and in eternity. Be on your guard. If you knew today uh, before I met Catherine, I, was, I, I dated briefly a, 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 a daughter of a senior Northern Ireland politician. And the IRA were trying to kill this lady. And we all felt under the gun. And, and they, were, they went around constantly aware. There were kill teams of the IRA watching them and planning to kill them. And they lived under constant tenterhooks. And in a similar sense, I don't want you to be frightened now in a sense, but I do want you to be aware that you have an enemy who has been working for 4,000 years. He is wiser today, more experienced today, more skilled today. He has grown in wisdom and in stature over the years. He's better able attempting now than he was when he persuaded Adam and Eve to exchange paradise for an apple. Heaven for hell, wisdom for folly. We need to be on our Guard, When we deal with him, we're dealing with the most formidable foe imaginable. J.C. Ryle says, There is no enemy worse than an enemy who is never seen and never dies, who is near to us wherever we live and goes with us wherever we go. Is that a signal? (laughs) Um, We're almost finished. But listen to me now, seriously. If you take nothing away from this today, I want you to think about this. Get into the habit of asking yourself, could it be the devil? When you're in a sermon, and maybe I or one of the other pastors is treading on your toes, and we voice whispers in your ear, Pastor Stewart doesn't love you. He doesn't. He's not concerned for you. He just wants to put burdens on your shoulders too grievous to be borne. Ask yourself the question: Could it be the devil? Often, just to ask the question is to answer it. Men and women, when you're at one another's heels in an argument, and things are tough in your marriage, it's never just you and your wife. It's never just you and your husband. There's always a third party at work whispering in your ear, stirring the pot, encouraging you to think the worst thing about your wife, encouraging your wife to think the worst thing about you, tempting you to deliberately try and offend your wife and then take offense when she takes offense. He's at work behind the scenes, like a spiritual special forces group trying to um, get you. So the devil is real, the devil is crafty, he likes to hide who he is and what he wants. The fourth thing and the last thing I want you to take away this morning is the devil has a master. He's not sovereign. Do you see it there in verse 1? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, that's opens a whole can of worms that I have no time to deal with this morning, right? But just take this away with you. What has been the theme of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? Is it not that God is absolutely sovereign over absolutely everything that he has made? The word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. For by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all there were host. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, he lays up the deep in storehouses. He is good and he is sovereign. When we think about the devil, we've got to remember that. For reasons that are beyond my pay grade, your heavenly father decided to create the devil, and it wasn't an accident. Now, Moses is going to, the rest of the Bible will unpack this theme for us, right? But right now, as we head over the precipice into the, into the darkness, as Adam and Eve are about to fall and fill the earth with death and cancer and The flu virus and countless other maladies. Great white sharks that eat people and man-eating lions and all kinds of um, difficulties. Moses is letting you know, God hasn't dropped the ball. The little children can still sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the mother's and the father's got the sons and the daughters the grandsons and the granddaughters he's got the angels in heaven but he also has the devil's the devil in hell Luther famously said Satan may be the devil but never forget he's the God's devil and God makes sovereign use of him to fulfill his purposes and his plans in such a way that the evil belongs only to the devil and yet the Lord makes use of him in a way that he handles the devil's sin sinlessly. And there's a lot I could have said this morning about this, but we need to bring this to a, to a conclusion. Maybe we'll come back in the years to come, or in the, in, the, in the months to come. But think, what was the worst thing that ever happened in this world? What was the worst event that ever happened? It was Jesus Christ, God's Son, being butchered between two thieves and a Roman gibbet in the darkness of Jerusalem, outside the city walls. And how did that happen? Well, it happened, didn't it? Because Judas wanted those pieces of silver. And the Jews were jealous. And Pilate was scared. And the devil was active. And you can see the devil rubbing his hands as he kills the Lord Jesus Christ and sees Jesus say, it is finished. And the devil saying to his infernal minions, we have done it, boys. Do you hear those words? It is finished. But he didn't realize that Jesus wasn't speaking about himself. And he wasn't speaking about his life. He was actually speaking about the devil and the devil's kingdom and your sins and my sins and the price of our redemption. And you remember how Peter, remember how Peter sums it all up so beautifully in Acts 2? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that you did. He doesn't underplay their responsibility. Sorry, that that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He doesn't undermine their responsibility. You really did this, Peter says, and you're responsible before God for doing it. You killed the Lord of life. But it was also something that God was doing by his predetermined plan and foreknowledge. That man was working for evil, the devil was working for evil, but God was working for good. And in that same principle that's happening at every moment, at every event in this world, God's providence, his most holy, wise, and powerful. Most holy, always good and never wrong. His most holy, wise, always wise and never foolish. His most holy, wise, and powerful, always powerful, never weak his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. The enemy of your soul is a creature and therefore a subject of the Lord God most high forever. Amen. Let me give you three very quick statements to take home with you. When it comes to resisting the devil, and if you don't believe in the devil's... Res- existence, Charles Finney says, just try resisting him for a while. An old author says, even as a great angel as Michael, the archangel, did not dare take on Satan alone, but called on the Lord to rebuke him. No Christian then should ever feel that he is wise enough or powerful enough to engage Satan apart from complete dependence on the Lord. When the devil comes in like a flood and he will, if not now, then soon, you can't stand in your own strength, but you can stand in the Lord's strength. And take this with you, God is your refuge and your strength, your help in tight places, always close at hand. Literally in the Hebrew it says, help in tight places, findable very. It makes bad grammar, but wonderful theology. The tighter the place, the closer the shepherd. Look to him. He'll not leave you in the devil's hands. Like Peter, remember, Satan has asked for you, that he might sift you as wheat. And Peter says, and you said no, right? <laughs> and Jesus says no. Uh, he said yes. But I've prayed for you. at The right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus lives, ever lives to pray for you, Christians for strength and grace. Even when you fall, you'll not be hurled headlong, for I am the one, Jesus says, who holds your hand. That's the first thing. Second thing, when it comes to comfort, you look back over your life, and maybe... The devil's had a field day. Maybe you're filled with regret this morning. You look back and you think of all the mistakes you made. Mistakes you made as a parent. Mistakes you made as a husband or a wife. Mistakes you made in business. And you just, you just think, oh, I've messed it all up. And Satan's had a field day. Remember this. Romans eight twenty-eight covers that too. All things. All things. I love that word. It's as big as all the world. All As long as all of history, all, your best days, your worst days, your wisest choices, your worst choices, all things must work together for your good. To you who love God, to you who are called according to your purpose. Jeffrey Wilson says, Satan's malice is always frustrated by God and made to minister a blessing to his people. The all things of Romans 8.28 admit of no exceptions. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Now, last thing. As you stand today and you look today and to the future, and you think of the devil coming in, and you're frightened, remember this. That old serpent can't rise one inch above your Savior's heel. Christ has crushed him under his foot and on the ground he'll go and he can't raise himself, not an inch above your Saviour's heel. Christ has beaten him. On the cross he crushed him, he disarmed him, he defanged him and has chained him. And he can't do anything, he can't come near you. As a Christian, loving kindness, the Bible says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But those who fear the Lord, loving kindness shall surround them. Surround you in the front, in the back, in the side, above you, beneath you. Christian, you are surrounded by a bubble of God's loving, stubborn, determined purpose to be kind to you and to be good to you and to be gracious to you and to hold you now and to hold you forever and to never let you go. Though Satan does his worst, Jesus says, don't be frightened. I'll be with you, working my best in you and through you, overturning even your mistakes for my glory. And I will keep you by my great power for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Satan can't rise an inch above your mighty, victorious Saviour's heel. So as we study this together in the weeks to come, we shouldn't be frightened. We must be watchful. But we shouldn't be frightened because Christ is King. And Christ is victor as long and as far as the sun shines. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of opening the scriptures here to these dear brothers and sisters. Help us, O Lord. We do not have within ourselves the strength to beat the devil, but Jesus does. And Christ is in us. And Christ is for us. Who can stand against us? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor powers in heaven or in hell, nothing in all of creation, neither height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. Remember that promise, our Father, or all is lost. We want to stand for you. Will you help us, O Lord, that we might live with thoughts, words, and deeds given over entirely to Christ? And give us strength to resist him, strong in the confidence that you care for us and always live to pray for us, Lord Jesus. Amen.